If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're continuing, continuing our series, Rich Doctrine, Rich Living, in which we've taken a look through the book of Ephesians and continue to take a look at what things, what areas, what parts of life are rich for the believer in Jesus. What, what do we have that feel, make us, can make us feel rich? And the answer to that equation is actually pretty much everything. There's so many spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. And that's the emphasis of the first half of the book. Look at all these spiritual, theological blessings you have. And now as we go into the second, we're continuing into the second, it's, it's the practical. Now look at these practical ways then in which God calls you to live a rich life. A rich life. We are some of the richest people in the world, whether we realize it or not. One of the things that I like the most, and maybe I shouldn't like the most, is fire. I'm not a pyromaniac, is that what they call them, that, you know, just go out in the woods and burn things just on, like, the weekends for fun. I don't do that, but I do enjoy fire. And so this weekend, when Annalise started, or one day this week, when Annalise started burning some cardboard boxes, I'm all on board. Like, yeah, part of me loves the practical, like, let's get this cardboard out of our garage and, and, and get rid of it. Part of me likes the, just the fire that's, like, that's so powerful so, from such a short little fuse, and all of a sudden it becomes so powerful. I don't know where your experience is at with fire, but I've always had an experience. I didn't run this by the deacon board this morning, but I just thought with the sermon title, from dark to light, I would give us a little fire and then a little demonstration. See, it doesn't take very much for a little fire to become a really big fire, right? And we all know that, that a little fire can become really big. Thankfully, there's no sprinkler there. <laughs> Don't put it on the wood pulpit. No, it's just kidding. It's fine. Okay, if it comes on smoke later, though, someone call the fire department. But, but we all love... I think we all love a good campfire, sit around with s'mores and family and friends and talk and have fellowship. Whether you like to look at the light of the fire, whether you like to feel the warmth of the fire, whether you just, maybe you don't, maybe some of you, and I'm, I don't really love the smell of smoke on my clothes afterwards, by the way, so maybe some of you are there with me too. Um, that part I can't stand, I usually don't enjoy that. But one thing that's true is that when you see a big blazing fire at night, there is no doubt in your mind something is going on. Something is going on. Good, fun, bad, or terrible, something in those range of things is happening. And, and so with my fire starter here that I have, I thought I'd show you a picture of one of my fires of my life. This was a fire at my graduation open house. And, um, you know, maybe this, this probably looks nothing in comparison to some of you and your bonfires. By the way, invite me to those bonfires when you have them. But to us, in sub, kind of a suburban type environment in my uh, cul-de-sac neighborhood with multiple, multiple houses nearby and things going on, that, the flame from that fire got pretty high. And I'm not saying it got to the power lines. That would be an over-exaggeration. But your mind is kind of like, whoa, is it, is it going to go all the way up to the power lines? We're going to get in trouble here. We're going to start to cut electricity off for our, town, our neighborhood. A big fire... Now, this is daylight, and, you know, it's, it's, 
it's hard to tell, but if that same fire were to happen at night and you happen to be driving by on the road, you would definitely wonder what was going on. No doubt in my mind. See, and the reason is because in the, in the shadows, in the cover, in the deepness of the darkest night, when a light so powerful and bright exists, it's hard to ignore. And the deepness of those darkest moments of life, those deepest dark moments when a light is shining so bright, it's hard for us to turn our back. What's easier for us to do is pay attention and look and wonder at the amazement, the beauty, or the, or the danger perhaps in some of our minds of why is that happening? Why is that fire? Why is that all-consuming light shooting up into the night sky? What's going on? What's happening? And this morning in Ephesians 5, Paul is actually going to emphasize the believer's testimony that our testimony ought to be like the fire in the darkest of night. So, so that's where we're looking at this morning, and that's where we're headed. We're going to look at how he talks about from dark to light. And light, in the Bible, I have to start here, because as I'm going to talk, anytime you hear me say light from now on, I'm talking about something very specific in the Bible. In the Bible, we find two aspects, primarily, of what light is being used for when that word is used. When it's talking about light... Light can be used to refer to two things. These aren't on your outline, so if you want to write them down extra, feel free. It can refer to intellect, and light is also used to refer to morality. Intellect, morality. Basically, light, then, as intellect, is this, truthfulness. When the scripture refers to light, Shining light on a situation, as the saying goes. Shining truthfulness onto the situation. Shining what's true. Telling the truth. Having truthfulness come. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 is one example of this in the scripture. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Referring to Satan. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What does Satan do? It's talking about the light. He hides the light. He covers up the light so they cannot see the light. What is the light? The light is the truth found in the gospel. The truth found in the gospel, and the truth found in the gospel, the end of the verse says, is the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what the light is. And Satan is working to cover that light up. So when you think about light from an intellectual standpoint in the scripture, that's what it's referring to. The light is the truth about Jesus. That's the truth. The intellectual truth of who Jesus is. And Satan is working overtime to cover that up. The next thing is morality. Light is also considered when it comes to living a moral life. So it's equated to holiness. Holiness. 
And that's shown very well in Isaiah 5.20 where it says this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. If you've been paying attention in the world around you, there's many cases of that currently. Many cases. I don't have to go into detail. You know exactly what I mean of people that are saying that evil things are good. And saying to us as believers in Jesus Christ that no, the things you believe are good are actually evil. That's happening right now. And it was happening for Isaiah as well. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What Isaiah is saying, what they did is they flipped the moral compass. They flipped the moral compass. The light, what's true, what's the true morality light is what's good. But they've taken that and they've flipped it on its head and they've tried to lead people astray to say, no, actually what's bad is what's good. And so, to live according to light in the scripture that we're going to look at the rest of this morning, we have to view those things. We have to realize when it's saying light, it's talking about living in truth and living in holiness. Those combined, true holiness through Jesus. And Paul is going to address that. He's going to, he's going to emphasize those things. He's going to bring up those things this morning. And so I want to just take a look with you this morning. Now, at our scripture, Ephesians 5, verses 7 through 14. God's word says, Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even, even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the, the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it was said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, sleeper, Christ will shine on you. Paul is going to address the true light that we want to see this morning, and he's going to do it, I believe, in five ways. The first thing he's going to show us this morning is the difference. What's the difference? For us, as we imitate Christ, Ephesians 5, the first part, the, the emphasis of these verses, most of the chapter of 5, is to be imitators of Jesus Christ. I want to act more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. So as we are trying to be more like him, as we're trying to imitate Christ, what we do, how we stand out, makes a difference. And in what aspect of our life? Which, which ones? Which ones belong to him? Everything. All of it. All of your life belongs to him. And how you respond in every area 
matters. And so Paul's going to point out now, as we look at being the light, as we look at being the light to the world around us, last week we looked at being love to the world around us, this week it's light, he's going to point out the difference. What's the difference? Let me show you in verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's the difference. That's the difference. The difference is what we were and what we are now. What difference is Paul mentioning? What change has happened to us? What stark contrast? And the answer is we were formerly darkness. Notice this, verse 8. You were once darkness. It doesn't say you were once living lost lives of darkness. It doesn't say you were once confused in, in utter darkness. It doesn't say you were once at a time drawn in, pulled into the darkness. No, actually, the scripture, and if you look at the terminology in the Greek of what the scripture is saying is it's, it's literally calling our lives before Jesus Christ completely dark. Dark. As if you were to go into the darkest room in your house, shut off every single light, unplug any kind of device that would be in there, and that still wouldn't be dark enough for what your life was like before Jesus Christ. It's darkness. It was utter Darkness. You weren't living in it. You weren't waiting to be called out from it. You weren't, no, your life was darkness. You were darkness. Your life was worthless in a sense. But now, it's different. But now there's a difference there. Now there's going to be a difference. See, darkness is what we were when we fully were lost. Many of you know this, and we can have the science teachers help debate after exactly what the terminology for this is, but darkness, the definition of darkness for me that I love the most, which you all would be familiar with, is the absence of light. Darkness is the absence of light. And Paul's using that term very carefully and very specifically. Before you knew Jesus, there was absence. There was no light in our life. So the difference is quite obvious. Who we were once is gone. It's removed and it should stay gone. We love as Christ Jesus loves and our lives are different because we are in the light now. We've been welcomed. We've been accepted. We've been called. We've been chosen. We've been gifted salvation as we've looked at in all the rest of Ephesians so far. We were made children of God. And now as children of God, not only are we children of God, children of Jesus, but we are children of the light. Children of truth and holiness. Children of the light. That shines so brightly to those around us. And we are told to live as children of the light. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, if you remember that, he tells us, he tells his disciples, he tells those listening, he tells us, you are now the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You, because Jesus Christ is shining through all of those who believe in him. 
You're the light. Not your neighbor, not your pastor, not your really good Christian friend who goes to Christian conferences, not that person. You are the light. You're the light of the world. Imitate me, he taught his followers. And as you imitate me and you become more like Jesus Christ, you can help other people to imitate you as you imitate Christ. You help them become light because you're living in the light because you are plugged in to the brightest source of light known to man, Jesus Christ. The next the next thing Paul then says, hey, this is the difference. This is the difference in your life. What you once were and what you are now, totally different. So he calls them in, in verse 8. So live as children of the light then. Live in that light. Live in that light. And how deep will that change go? What's the depth of that change in your life when you start living for the light? What's the depth? Verse 10. I'm going to skip ahead. And find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. Go back to verse 9. For all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The areas we seek to please the Lord then are obvious. He states them for us. He states them for the church. He says to them, here are the areas. Find out in these three places what pleases the Lord. The first one, you're, you're with me. This is not going to confuse anybody. So I put them all up at once, even though I'll talk about them one at a time. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness applies to how other people see you. How do other people see you? Being morally good in who you are and in your effectiveness as a person. That's what goodness is referring to. Who are you morally deep down? And then as you live out your life, how effective are you at showing that to the people around you. Where's your goodness? So spiritual goodness is also a spiritual gift. You've been blessed with goodness from the moment of salvation. We covered that this summer in a Bible study. But, but the fruit of the Spirit, one of the things you've been gifted is goodness. God has helped change you. Part of that change from light, from darkness into light is he's taken you from bad and he's given you goodness. So that way you are called and you have the gifting inside of you to live where the people around you notice the difference. Here's a scriptural mandate elsewhere for goodness. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 teaches this. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other, and everyone else. When you see goodness in this passage and it's asking you, hey, there's a calling here in verse 10. Find out what pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord in the fact and the term of goodness is clear. Make sure 
Nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but strive to always do what is good. What a world we would live in. What a world we will live in one day when Jesus comes to make it perfect. When everyone looks out only for the good of those around them. It's obvious as we think about our lives, that's the issue. Because most people are not looking out for your good as their neighbor. Most people are not looking out for your good as they communicate with you on a daily basis. Most people are looking out for themselves, what they think would be good for them, what they think would, they would want, and not what they think would be good for those around them. So God calls us then, Paul calls us here through, through a relationship close with the Lord where he's writing in scripture that goodness, find out how you can strive to how other people around you see. Righteousness, the second one, that applies to how God sees you. See, now it's one thing for people in the world around you to see you as a good person and have goodness in your life coming forth from you, but, but your righteousness is how God sees us. Our conformity, how we are responding to the standards he upholds us to. Because God is righteous and we are in a pursuit to have a relationship with him, we ought to be eager to be righteous like God is righteous. To be more correct in all of our dealings. To be more correct in how we worship him. To be more correct in the understanding of who God is. To be more correct in the way that we engage with our God. To be more correct. To live as a light to the dark world around us. And that's righteousness. Righteousness is because God is righteous, so he created us to follow him in those footsteps. And it's in a relationship with him. The first is a relationship with the world. The second is, rela is your relationship with him. How are you doing? Evaluate it. Verse 10 says, find out what pleases the Lord when it comes to righteousness. You should evaluate yourself. How am I doing in my relationship to God. That's a call. It's a, it's, a, it's a truth. It's a depth of our relationship. It's how deep this relationship goes. And then the last thing is the truth. Knowing the truth. And that applies mostly to ourselves. Outside world. Relationship with God. The last one, the truth, applies mostly to ourselves. What are we believing Are we following God's reality for the world around us? Or are we following the false ideas of humans? One of the most dangerous things I think that happens to people is they get so caught up with the groups they support, the leaders that they know and love and care about, that as soon as those leaderships or those groups start doing something, whether it's right or wrong, people go along with it. And then the longer you go along with it, this is true, and you have family members and friends and loved ones, the longer you go along with these things that aren't truth, the harder it is for you to backtrack because there's a humiliation factor in human life. 
There is, and it's strong. That we don't want to be embarrassed. Well, I've, I've made some really strong statements about that in the past. So even if I were to find out through God's word that I was wrong about something, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to tiptoe my way back to the middle rather than be willing to say I was wrong. That's such a big problem for the church right now. Maybe not our church, maybe not you, but when you look at the church globally, there is an issue. There are whole denominations that have chosen rather to live in the truth. Well, the leaders are going this way and the, well, to be, to be cl clearly honest with you, the, the Pope is going this way, and so I'm starting to go this way, and they're leaving the Scripture behind, and they're not feeling shy about it. The truth. Our heart needs the truth. We need the Scripture. It's the thing to which we turn our attention. This is where we gain an understanding of who God is. Is. The next thing that Paul points out to, the, to us, to them, his, the church in Ephesus, but to us as well, is the demand. There's the difference in our life that's been made, and the difference is deep. It's a deep difference because we're called for, to goodness, we're called to righteousness, we're called to truth, we're called to evaluate those things, and then there's the demand on the Christian believer. If you want to walk in the light, in true holiness of the light, here's what you have to do. There's a demand on us. The demand, demand is pretty simple. Don't partner with evil. Why? There's a demand. Good question. There's a demand. Good question, Olivia. Love Olivia. Actually, actually, Annalise says this a lot to me. We, we grew up uh, in Chicago. We were at a call, more of a call and response Baptist church. And so um, Elder Dave, a great guy in the Lord Jesus, man, he was, he was encouraging at times to me. It's like, amen. You know, he just preached and there was encouragement and um, it was a blessing at times. So thanks, Olivia, for asking the question. I'll answer it for you. Ready? Verse 11. That's so sweet to me, by the way. I hope it was for you too. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Have nothing to do with them. In chapters 4 and 5, we've seen a big growing list. Huge growing list of the deeds of darkness. Buckle down. If you want to try and cap copy all these, you're welcome to. You probably won't get there because it's big. Deceit. Falsehood. These are just ones he's covered in the past two chapters. Deceit. Falsehood. Stealing. Wrath. Bitterness. Unwholesome talk. Clamor. Slander. Malice. Immorality. Impurity. Greed. Silly talk, coarse joking, filthiness, covetousness, and in general, the sin of idolatry. Those are all examples of deeds of darkness. And Paul is saying, if you want to live in the light, do not have anything to do with evil. Don't have anything to do with those deeds of darkness. 
Our portion of the demand is to free ourselves from those sins. Free yourself. Acknowledge when those sins are a problem in your life and remove them. Because there is a demand from scripture on your life right here. That if you start to see these things in your life, they need to leave. They have to. And what a blessing it is. One of my favorite all-time conversations with people is when I might meet a believer for the first time, meet a pastor friend for the first time, meet someone, and we start talking about our testimonies and sharing our faith. One of my favorite things to hear, whether it be something you might think is big or really small, is always to hear, yeah, I had this sin pattern in my life before I knew Jesus. Or I had this sin pattern in my life while I knew Jesus and eventually the Lord convicted me and he helped me and I got through it. I'm beyond that now. I love to hear the people, I love to hear there's a brother in Christ in our town and I know many of you know just by me referencing. I love to hear him. I had a problem with alcohol and when I removed that from my life, I clearly saw, more clearly saw who Jesus Christ was. He's passionate. He stayed sober for all these years and he has a great relationship, I believe, with the Lord Jesus. And he is willing to say, I was in darkness. And he gets emotional talking about that time. Recognizing I spent years of my life, I think of the hymn, years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not, the Lord was crucified. I think of that when I talk to him. He tells me a story. and I'm, Yes, years you spent living in darkness, but he caught the light. He wanted to live true. And he wanted to live holy. Like passages like this teach us. Put the evil far away. Our lives are not to be tainted. Our lives are not to allow darkness back in because you were once darkness, but you are no longer. You've been saved. You've been healed. You've been helped. So those are my favorite testimonies when I hear of people who say, yes, I have been helped by the grace of Jesus. Yes, I have overcome sin. Yes, I have had victory through Jesus because I have realized. I have decided. I have been far off and I have walked back to Christ and what he would have for my life. Verse 11 is a beautiful passage because it's both. It's encouraging for you. If you feel like this morning, maybe you don't have any really big sin issue that you're facing or battling. I'm not sure where you sit. Maybe if you feel like I have some really big sin issues that I'm battling. No matter where you fall, this is a great passage. It's a reminder. Avoid sin. If this needs to be a confirmation to you this morning, maybe you're going to walk out from our church going, you know what? I needed to hear that. I needed to hear it because I've been dangerously close to some of this sin I know is wrong. Avoid it. That's not, the, that's not who you are as a child of God. Maybe you've lived in sin patterns and you're stuck deep in the trenches. Do you realize that because of the light of Jesus Christ, you can be healed, saved, powerfully removed from that sin instantly? If only you would trust this passage Jesus wants you to know. You are no longer darkness. You no longer have to be controlled by those things. Early in, this, early in this sermon, we looked. Satan, he's the one who tries to cover up the light. He's the one who's trying to exchange 
good for bad and bad for good. And he's trying to confuse you. You don't have to feel that way anymore. And so there's a demand from scripture for you. And for me. We are not to partner with evil. And then there's a delegation. There's a delegation that comes then for true believers in Jesus. Verse 11, the second half of verse 11, I read it, but I read it again. But rather expose them. Not only are you supposed to identify these sin patterns in your own life, and pay attention for your own life of what's sinful, you are supposed to expose these sins. Verse 12, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. What happens when we ignore evil? What happens when we ignore evil is that it encourages evil. If you ignore evil and sin in the lives of yourself, your family, those around you who you love dearly, if you just ignore it, you choose just to ignore it, all that does is encourage sin in other people's lives. The Christian is rather supposed to expose evil. Because those deeds are shameful, they have no place in the light. They're shameful. I just think of that. I think of this this week. I have a great story for you. I hope you were ready for this great story. Maybe you are. This week, I was using the bathroom during one of our basketball games. And in, in after the basketball game, it was an away basketball game. I won't humiliate the school by saying where. In walked a bunch of the boys who had just finished practice from basketball. And, and it would be shameful for me to tell you the type of horrible things that those boys were saying in that bathroom. It would be shameful. It would be shameful. Those boys, I don't think that they were believers in Jesus Christ. So I, I guess I didn't have any um, feeling in my life to just jump out and confront them about that nature of the things. I did mention it to one of the coaches, though. From, again, exactly what I practiced. I think the, the scripture prepared me for it. I did mention it to one of the coaches. Hey, I just want to let you know I was in the bathroom. It was pretty embarrassing to me what some of the boys were saying, including what they were saying about the coaches, you know, after practice. I just would like, if I were a coach, I would want to know, and I think that that's not good, and I'm, I'm sure you'd want me to tell you, oh, yeah, thank you for telling me. Thanks for letting me know. We'll have a discussion, you know. But it was, It's shameful. It's shameful to mention what those boys were doing in secret. It really is. And I'm sorry for them. I pray for the Lord that he would give them a light of the gospel. Maybe this conversation with a coach could be something to spark. Oh, my actions, my words, what, who I am matters. And I think that's really the point that the scripture wants us to be encouraged to understand. That if you live your life in light of this scripture, guess what? Your life matters. What you do 
behind closed doors matters to Jesus Christ. What you do in the school after practice and what you say matters to Jesus Christ. What you do behind your boss's back and what you say and how you express the things you say to the people who work with you, that matters to Jesus Christ. Who you are doesn't just stop mattering. And so if we truly believe that, if we truly feel that, one of our aims should be to point out sin. To point out sin to those around us who love Jesus because, hey, this is not who Christ called us to be together. This is not what Christ wants for our lives. Not mine, not yours, not anyone's. I'm going back to that brother. That brother I talked about who, who defeated sin and is proud of it. Guess what else he's proud of saying? I tell everyone they should not become an alcoholic. I go to all my drinking buddies and I talk to them and I say, you should really stop. You should get to know Jesus. How powerful. A man who was brought out of the dark into the light and he understands, exposed the darkness for what it is. This is not healthy. It does not benefit you. It's not helping you change your life. It's not making your life better. It's making your life worse. And I live as living proof that I am living a much better life, this man would say, because of one thing and one thing alone. Jesus. And I live my life for him. That's our aim. That's our goal. And you know, here's what happens. Here's what happens. And it's unfortunate. This is a thought on maybe why texts like this isn't practiced as much as it's preached in a church. John MacArthur helpfully says this. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Exposed sin. Probably a lot of you figured that out because you're very smart people. Unfortunately, many Christians are so barely able to keep their own spiritual and moral houses in order that they do not have the discernment, inclination, or power to confront evil in the church or in society at large. Many Christians can barely keep their own house in order. And I believe that's true. I believe it's true and at the same time as a church who loves Jesus and we're pursuing him and we're seeking him, we pray that it's not. I pray for you. I pray for your families. I know you pray for each other and your families. Let's pray for each other that this statement wouldn't be true of us. That our house would be in order that we would be willing, when necessary, to confront evil. That we would be willing to stand up in the church. That we would be willing to stand up in the society. And when something is evil, we confront it. And that's our delegation. We've been delegated to do that. It's a task that Paul is commanding here through the scripture. Have nothing to do with the darkness. Rather expose them. Everything that becomes exposed by the light becomes visible. 
And now when it's out in the light, when these sins are brought to light, something else happens. He, he, this is a finish of his quote. We should be so mature in biblical truth and in obedience, holiness, and love that part of the natural course of our life is to expose, rebuke, and offer remedy for every kind of evil. I know these situations aren't always cut and dry. There's a lot of family dynamics. There's a lot of years of friendship maybe that you would be risking to expose evil in the life of someone you know and love. I know, I know there's not cut and dry scenarios, but the scripture itself is cut and dry. If you are exposed to biblical truth, if I'm exposing myself to biblical truth to understand God, who he is, in pure obedience and holiness... And as I live my life for the light, true and holy, I'll be able to expose sin when God gives me an opportunity. I'll be able to do it. I'll be able to expose it. And then I love the end part. See, sometimes pastors get a bad rep. Like we just want to just point out sin and say you're wicked and it's evil and it's awful. No, I love the stories. I just mentioned to you earlier. I love the stories more where it's exposed sin that has a happy ending. Who doesn't love the happy ending? There's a remedy for every kind of evil and the remedies are found in God's word. They're there. For you and for me to discover, for you and me to walk someone hand in hand, show them how God would want them to live. And then at the end, it, this is the part that this all naturally flows to. Then there's a decree. There's a decree that Paul gives. The difference, the depth, the, the demand... The delegation, and then a decree. The decree is in, found in verse 14. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Our decree is to wake up others. From dark to light. Just as Paul does, it shifts to remind that the gospel utters the difference between darkness and light and the truth of the light. And the next verse from next week is going to be a reminder again be careful how you live. But for now, part of, the, part of the reminder of finding out what pleases the Lord from verse 10 is carried over to this decree in verse 14. And what is a reminder of what the Lord would have us to do, what pleases the Lord is for us to help other people, to help them wake up sleeper. You're dead. You're in darkness. You're lost without Jesus. Wake up sleeper. Love that imagery. 
I love that. Many of you know heavy sleepers. Sometimes it's hard to wake people up from a hard, steady, solid sleep. Wake up! There's something better for you. Rise from the dead. You identify with them. You're, you're dead. You're living in darkness. There's nothing for you there. And then there's a promise. Christ will shine on you. There is a remedy for your death. There's a remedy for your darkness. There's a remedy to what you need. You need to repent. You need to rise from the dead. And you need to go to Christ who will shine his light on you. And this is a powerful close. I, I almost shouldn't even go to the last point. With the powerful close, I want you to identify as this is your life. You were once a sleeper, needing to leave the darkness. And then maybe in your life, maybe you've not gotten there yet where you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, but many of you have. Wherever you stand at that, you had an opportunity to rise from the dead. You have that opportunity. Jesus Christ can pick you up literally out of the darkness and move you into the light. It's simple. The gospel, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish in the darkness, but shall have everlasting life in the light. He'll move you from darkness into the light, and then, and only then, will Jesus Christ shine on you. Your life will be a beautiful fire in a dark, dark night. Jesus Christ has the ability to shine his light through you so powerfully that those around you are aware there's something different here. There's something different here. Last point this morning to wrap everything up. A walk with Jesus is so far away from darkness. It is good. It is right and true. Shine light in your own life. Expose sin for what it is. And then share that decree with everyone you can. Because there's a whole lot of people who are living in darkness. Christ's light doesn't shine through them. We're going to bow in a word of prayer and then close with the hymn. Lord, I thank you. This room is full of people who were once darkness but are now light. We want to live with that definition of light in mind. True holiness. Knowing the truth of the scripture and obeying it and showing you God. Showing you and you alone. We're only trying to, to show back to you. You're reflect, reflecting down light. Help us to show the world around us. We are full of the light. We are full of the truth and we are willing to stand up expose sin for what it is and pull people out 
of darkness. Help us to do that. Help us to do it well. Help us to follow you. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray this morning. Amen.